we have a lot of fun downstairs. I'm sorry I'm missing the activities down there, but I'm glad to be up here with you. Just for those who uh, came late, are they all downstairs today? Really some great things downstairs. The food, undercover popcorn, top secret sandwiches, double agent cupcakes. They're cupcakes with an Oreo inside them. Some really good stuff. Anyway, for those who came late and you're wondering where Rabbi Michael is, he's in Queens today. He was asked to be part of an intercultural seminar there, and he is actually one of the keynote speakers. Uh, and uh, so he and Gary went in with him, left very early. I think my husband left my house at 6.45, even though he wasn't supposed to pick Gary up till 7.30. I'm thinking he's going to be very early, but they're there, so we just speak a blessing on them. So uh, and he'll be back with us tomorrow, as I said, when we build the sukkah. Also keep Raylan and Miles in prayer. Raylan's cousin passed away recently, and today they're at a memorial service. So that's uh, why they're not here uh, with us. And we have others who have some sickness and things. So we just want to, when you don't see someone here, there's usually a reason. So, you know, say a prayer, make a phone call, you know, just to see how, how they're, they're doing. I know Indra and I had texted so Stephen would be here, but she said she's been having some problem as well physically, so I'm going to send a prayer request out for her. So uh, when someone's not here, again, uh, there's usually a reason. Uh, if you don't think they're on vacation, then something is probably uh, not good. So you just keep them in prayer. So let's pray as we prepare to hear the word of the Lord. Hashem, we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Uh, God, it is just so good to be in your presence and and to worship you, God, and and to, uh, to experience you uh, as a congregation. And God, now we want to have ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. So I ask you to, to help us to be attentive and uh, uh, that the seed of your word would go into our spiritual hearts. God, that would produce, I know it says 30, 60, 100 fold, but I believe for 100 fold in my life and the life of those hearing this. And I thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. So this is the message that I've been pro- uh, promising you uh, for uh, a month or so, and it's entitled, What Happened to Your Joy? Tomorrow we're going to come together as we've announced to build our congregational sukkah and celebrate the first night of Sukkot. Hopefully you took Monday off because we're not supposed to work on the first day of Sukkot. So uh, uh, that's uh, something that hopefully you did. Uh, and uh, we're going to build the sukkah, come and gather in it, we're going to wave the Lulav and Etrog and worship tomorrow night and uh, uh, celebrate, you know, for the next week or so. And for us, we'll come together on next Saturday the 3rd for our Sukkot Pop Bless. But one of the uh, things that this holiday is known as, and most of us are aware of this, is Saman Simchatenu, the season of our joy. So that's what today's message is focusing on in anticipation of beginning this holiday tomorrow night. Although many in the Jewish community do not observe Sukkot in our modern era, it really was a big celebration in ancient times that involved full participation by all in the community. Uh, The scriptures actually indicate that it was one of the three pilgrimage feasts. So in reality, we should all be in Jerusalem right now preparing to celebrate Sukkot. But since we can't all be there, we're going to celebrate together here uh, in Holbrook, New York. Um, 
so as part of a pilgrimage feast, that meant all the Jewish people went up to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem would swell with numbers at this time because everyone was coming, which is connected, and this is not my message today, but that's why we celebrate, well, that's not the reason why, but it gives uh, background to the reason why we celebrate the incarnation of the Messiah at this time because, you know, it was during Sukkot that Yeshua was probably born, not in December. So the rabbis talk about this, and I just want to give you a picture from a couple articles of what this holiday looked like in ancient days. Again, even though today it's really the Orthodox who celebrate it. In Israel, a lot of people put up sukkahs, though, as well. But here in America, uh, it's really the Orthodox community and Messianics like us who, uh, who build sukkahs and things. So the couple articles just explaining so you get a picture of this. Sukkot is the time for simcha, saman simchatenu, the season of our joy. To the rabbis of the Talmud, Sukkot was the festival par excellence. It describes the temple uh, in temple times that the streets of Jerusalem were lit by torches all night, and the whole city was one great celebration, culminating with the ceremony of water drawing in the sacred courtyards. But perhaps the greatest joy of all is the simplest, to be able to look up at the stars and say to God and to oneself, I'm grateful for this life, this world. Thank you for bringing us to this season. And that's what you do when you sit in the sukkah. You look up because your roof has to be so you can see through it, and you thank God. Another article talks about uh, the different celebrations that had been added by the time of the first century Yeshua. And one such addition centered on the illumination of the temple during the week of Sukkot. According to the Talmud, which gives detailed descriptions of the temple in the first century period, four enormous candelabras were erected in one of the temple courtyards. Each of them was 75 feet high. Now that's pretty high. How high is this here? Like 35 feet, I think. So uh, it's like double, uh, double this. So uh, 75 feet high. So there were four of them. And they had four large bowls at the top and every bowl holding 10 gallons of pure oil. That's a lot of oil. And every night uh, of the festival, young men with torches would climb them and ignite the oil and the light of the burning oil, the Talmud records, was so bright that every courtyard in Jerusalem was illuminated by them. And it said the entire city would obey God's command to rejoice. So pious men, members of the Sanhedrin, and leaders of religious schools would dance in the courtyard, <clears throat> holding torches high and singing praises to God. Music was played on harps, lyres, cymbals, trumpets, and other instruments. Uh, Levitical choirs sang and chanted from the steps leading down into the courtyard. And this would continue late into night, and at dawn, two Kohanim would ascend the steps leading to the temple, blowing shofars as they went. And when they reached the courtyard, everyone would turn to face the temple as the sun rose and shone upon it. So this is, you can see how big of a celebration this was in ancient times. And the second edition, which we have referred to and talked about in years past, was the water drawing ceremony. And um, uh, we pray, have prayers during Sukkot for rain and for water because in the ancient world, you know, Israel was obviously an agricultural society, and this is the time when the rains need to come to, uh, for the crops that have been planted. So they, this uh, ceremony was developing on the seventh day of Sukkot, known as Hoshana Rabbah, the great day. <coughs> excuse me, the great day. A Kohen would carry a golden pitcher to the pool of Siloam, to the feet of the Temple Mount, 
and he was accompanied by flute players and other musicians. The golden pitcher was filled with water from the pool, carried back to the temple, where once more the shofar was blown to announce the Kohen's arrival. And as the musicians played and the singers sang, the water was poured into a silver basin beside the altar, and the Kohen prayed that the Lord would send rain. And during the ceremony, the Jewish people looked to a day foretold by the prophet Joel when he said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And, of course, we know that water represents, you know, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. So you get this sense. I just want to get you uh, excited about what Sukkot represents. And as I said uh, in one of my messages recently, you know, these Moedim are for reasons, okay? And uh, so this Moed of Sukkot, this festival of Sukkot, is to jar us, to get us reflecting on where is our joy, <clears throat> the overall theme when you read through the different accounts by the rabbis of ancient celebrations was one of great joy and when you look in the scriptures you can see that joy was the predominant theme one article I read said there was over 400 uses of joy or rejoicing in the scripture. Another said over 600. I didn't have time to personally count, uh, you know, go through uh, and see. But 400 to 600, that's a lot of times that joy is mentioned in the scriptures. So what does that tell us? Anyone? That joy is a pretty important subject to God. Right? If he mentions it that many times, not that he should have to mention it more than once, being a parent, I get annoyed when I have to repeat myself more than once sometimes, but God mentioned it four to six hundred times about rejoicing, so that means it must be very important to him. And he himself is known as a God of joy. Sephaniah tells us that he rejoices over us with singing and dancing. Now, is that a picture you ever had of God? Thank you, Fred. So, God is a God of great joy. And I think it's time that we take serious the fact that we need to be people who walk in joy. Now, this is not the first message that uh, I've spoken on joy. And I'm sure it will not be the last message I speak either. Like uh, the Talmud Yochanan at the end of his life, he spoke on one thing and one thing only. That was Ahava, love. And people said, when are you going to change your message? And he says, when you, you know, start doing what I'm preaching you. <laughs> so I think this year I'm going to take, since there's at least 400, a different joy verse and post it a day to saturate at least, you know, my uh, social media pages with joy. And if you see them, it will remind you of the importance of, of joy. Because, unfortunately, as believers, uh, we don't always experience or walk in the joy of the Lord. So I want us to look at one of the passages that tells us to celebrate Sukkot. It's Divarim, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. <clears throat> Here Adonai says, You are to keep the festival of Sukkot for seven days, after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and wine, wine, wine press. What does it say next? Verse 14, the first four words. 
Rejoice at your festival. Say it again. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female slaves, the Levi'im and the foreigners, orphans and widows living among you. That's pretty inclusive, right? That's everybody, Jew and Gentile, male and female, free and not free, okay? Seven days you are to keep the festival of Adonai your God and the place Adonai your God will choose because Adonai your God will bless you in all your crops and in all your work so you are to be full of joy. What does that last phrase say? So you are to be full of joy. Together again, so you are to be full of joy. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are to be full of joy. Okay, let's try that again. Say it again. You are to be full of joy. Now, many of you have probably checked out already in the message in your mind. Because you really don't want to be joyful right now. And you think your life stinks and there's nothing to really be joyful about. And I'm going to tell you that this message is for you today. Others say, you know, Rabbi Carol, I'm happy most of the time. Yeah, so what do I need to hear about joy? Well, I'm going to tell you this message is for you as well. There are two things I wanted to point out from this passage about Sukkot. And again, remember the Moed are to get us to focus. Not that we shouldn't rejoice every day of the year, but it helps us to realign our thoughts and our minds on certain principles. So Yom Kippur, we focus on what? Atonement. Does it mean we never think about atonement the rest of the, the year? No. In fact, someone was saying to, uh, talking afterwards about something Rabbi Michael mentioned in his message, and, and I thought it was so true about how sometimes as believers whose name are written in the book of life, we sometimes take for granted what Yeshua does. In other words, we don't really reflect on, you know, the fact that he vicariously gave his life. And so Yom Kippur is a time where we can really focus on that, right? Passover is freedom. Sukkot is to get us to focus on, one of the things is on joy. And two things from this passage here, verse 14 says, you will rejoice. Some translations actually translate it as a command, implying it's not optional. Ask my daughter about that phrase because I often use it with her. Mom, is this optional? No, Abigail, it's not optional. Okay, so that's the sense that you get from this. And the other thing in verse 15, it tells us that we are to be full of joy. Now, when I say something that is full, to me, that gives a sense of being overflowing and just oozing out of us. Now, if I were to ask you today, what are you full of? Would it be joy? It's a good question. Say lot moment. I think many of us are very low on the joy thermometer. Ask yourself this question on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being overflowing with joy and 1 being joy is barely existing, where would you put yourself? Grab a piece of paper and write it down. Okay, grab a piece of paper, write it down. Borrow a piece of paper from your neighbor. This is important because I want you to reflect on where you're at right now. Because if you don't know where you're at, then where you, how do you know where you're going to go? Okay? Now, 
The other thing I want you to, to, to write down is if there's one thing you could change in your life right now that you think would bring joy to you, what would that thing be? Write it down or make a mental note. I realize some of you didn't come prepared to, to take notes, so I'm not going to put pressure on you. But make a mental note. If there's one thing you could change in your life this very moment that you think would bring joy to you, what would that thing be? One to ten, where are you on the joy thermometer? And the one thing, if you could change this very moment that you think would bring joy in your life, what would it be? So my prayer is that by the end of this sermon, you will realize the true source of your joy and understand what really needs to be changed. And I'm going to say for most of you, it's not what you just wrote down in your paper or made a mental note of in your mind. For joy to be overflowing from you. Many of us feel we have nothing to be joyful about. That's because we forget the true meaning of joy. Joy, and I'm sure you've heard this on many occasions, is not the same as happiness, although the words are often exchanged, especially in our society today, for each other. Happiness has to do with emotional responses to good things happening in your life. Joy, on the other hand, is something we experience even when bad things are going on around us. So yes, even in difficult times and seasons in our life, we can experience true joy. Now, I realize that some of us are really walking through difficult seasons right now, and my message in no way is intended to minimize the pain or the hardship that you might be going through at this moment in your life. But my hope is that it will encourage you to rise up above that difficulty so that you can experience the joy that Allah and I want you to walk in, even though you're experiencing some difficult things right now. So what is joy? Well, I decided to do a quick look at the Hebrew words, and also my husband encouraged me to do that, to give us a little understanding. And one of the things that I noticed, and I hope you will, hope you will notice as well, when you look at these words, is that joy is something that can be seen in the life of the person, person experiencing it. In other words, there are outward expressions of the fact that you are joyful. And looking across here right now, I don't see very much outward expression. Just being honest. Okay. (laughs) So the first word, gila. The root meaning here is to circle around. So it has this idea to circle in joy and it, it has this sense of a vigorous, enthusiastic expression of, of joy. And it's one of the words used about God twirling and dancing around for us, gila, right? In one of our themes downstairs, we had gila bazaar, our bazaar marketplace. We try to use Hebrew names. <coughs> you know, it's okay to be demonstrative about your faith in God. We see so much demonstration in our society of so many other things. Think about all the fans and the crazy things they do at these uh, sports arenas. You know, Kansas City Royals 
did secure the the league, just saying, you know, anyone who <laughs> is watching baseball, Mets one game away if they win tonight. The Mets, but I'm from Kansas City, so they already secured it. But think about the, what those uh, those fans do, you know, or the football games. Chiefs lost. I can't believe that loss. Did you see that? On? I could, oh, unbelievable. Right at the last few seconds. So. But you see at these games, sometimes these fans have painted their entire body the color of their team. Why? Because they are enthusiastic about their team. Goodness, we who just experienced the fact and we were reminded of the fact that our names are written in the book of life, don't you think we could maybe be a little enthusiastic in our expressions and in, in our personalities because we are written in the book of life? You know, we know what's going to happen in the end and our, you know, we're secure. So, you know, we could be a little demonstrative. Yeah, you could circle around. You know, you can get up and dance in the circle with me. That's okay. You know, or turn around in the circle in front of your place. I don't care, you know. Be like Chris when it's at the cleansing stream. She did cartwheels across the front. She was joyful. Another word, Rina. And that's Rina's name. It means shout of joy. It comes from the root ranan. And again, it means to cry out and to shout and to sing aloud. It appears over 50 times in the Tanakh. And in Vayikra 9.24, it was that shout of jubilation when the sacrifice was offered up. So it's okay to shout unto the Lord. Okay? These are very Jewish things. I know from those coming from a traditional Jewish background, that was not a part of your experience because, you know, modern-day Judaism doesn't worship the same way the Bible says. But in the Bible, if you read through the Psalms, it says, shout to the Lord, clap your hands, dance before him. You won't see that in most traditional synagogues, although many today are bringing in instruments and things because uh, they're trying to be more modern and, and attract people because they're losing people and synagogues are shutting down, unfortunately. But biblically speaking, we are supposed to be dem demonstrative in our worship. And so to, to shout is part of what we should do. So if you're by me, you hear me shout aloud. In fact, if you've been here long enough, you know that I consider myself, you know, the make the joyful noise section of the, of the body of Messiah. So I'm going to shout unto the Lord. In fact, the kids... You know, dancing beside me always look at me because I think I'm frightened them as they're dancing up there because we're worshiping and dancing, and I'll just shout unto God because I'm excited about Him. So you know, that's part of the joy is to shout. So you see what it is? It's something that's demonstrated by us. Another word is chadva, which is from Tehillim 21.7 and also in Nehemiah 8.10. And it has this sense of exceeding, like abundantly, gladness and joy, like just flowing from you. And then when we turn to the Greek New Covenant, there's one predominant word that is used, chara, and it's like its Hebrew counterpart. And this is what it indicates, that joy is not just inward. It has a cause and finds expression in the life of the person. So don't tell me that you're joyful on the inside. Don't buy it. Because that's not what joy is about. That joy that should be is inside should be expressed 
on the outside. So, inward expression, expression that is outwardly demonstrated. Look with me to the New Covenant at Yeshua's words in Yochanan chapter 15, verse 11. I have said this to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Your joy may be what? Let's say it again. My joy may be what? Complete. So Yeshua is saying these things because he wants our joy to be complete. Now, some translations say so that your joy may be full. And the whole sense of the Greek word used here is that overflowing, once again, fullness, completion of what you are experiencing. So what does he want for you and me? That we would have a joy that is overflowing in our lives. Again, when I think of overflowing, I think of just oozing. Just like, just, 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 it's just abundance, right? He talks about that in, in many cases when God talks about overflowing, like in Malachi when he promises that if we give him the tithe and offering, he says, I'll pour out abundance that cannot be contained. In fact, there'll be too much, just super abundance. And he says, you know, I will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ask and imagine. That's, that's the type of God that we serve. He's super abundant. Well, he wants us to be super abundant too. And in this area of our joy, he wants it to be super abundant, oozing and overflowing out of us. So how does that happen? Well, I want you to think of the context of this verse. Yochanan chapter 15, many of you know and if you don't, I'm going to tell you this. And I'm not going to take the time to read this passage. But I would encourage you as part of your devotions this week to spend time reading Yochanan John chapter 15. When you begin at verse 1, it talks about the vine and the branches. Okay? And what does Yeshua say? He says that, you know, you have to abide in him. You know, we are uh, in that we need to abide in him the vine and the branches together. And there are four things that when you read through John 15 that you can see, and you can write them down now, but when you read it, note these things. Number one, we are nothing, absolutely nothing, if we are not connected to the Messiah. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay? The second thing in Yochanan 15 is we can only be fruitful by staying connected to the Messiah. He says, it's only in your connection to me can you bear fruit. And that's why he prunes us. Now, I think a lot of you know the story of the apple tree in our backyard. This apple tree to me is a sign that God answers prayers. I didn't plant an apple tree. I planted a dogwood tree. Okay? Probably about 12 years ago, we bought two trees to put off the back of our deck. If you've been in my backyard, and most of you were there for Josiah's uh, graduation, that sun beats right down on my deck, 1 to 3 o'clock. You don't want to be out there unless you have the umbrella up. So we decided to put some trees on the end of the deck and to, so that eventually they'll grow into cover. So I brought, bought two dogwoods. So last year we were sitting out there. I think we had the leadership over, and all of a sudden, I think it was Evan, or somebody looked up and says, well, look, there's an apple in that tree. I'm like, an apple in the tree? Sure enough, there were two apples. Now, my daughter Abigail has been asking me for years, Mom, why don't you plant an apple tree? I said, Abigail, fruit trees take time to cultivate. By the time it's ready to bear fruit, you're not going to be in this house anymore. I said, so why should I go by? 
But I even went to look, and there are trees that take only one or two years, however they've engineered them, right? And today, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll buy this tree so in two years we can, can uh, you know, have fruit so she, you know, she likes apples. But she would pray. And so I know that this is a, an answer to, to Abigail's prayer. So, but what happened is last year, for the first time, my husband actually pruned the tree. <laughs> and I think in that pruning of the tree is why we saw two apples. And this year, we have a lot of apples on that apple tree. So, you know, when we are in Messiah, we bear fruit. And part of the bearing fruit process, and this is all extra, is that he will prune us. So in reality, do I have a dogwood tree there? I do. The back half of the tree is a dogwood, and the front half is an apple tree. So somehow, the company that I bought the tree, I ordered it by mail, and uh, it was like two trees spliced together. So the back is like the other tree on the other side, which is a dogwood, but the front half is my apple tree. So we're going to make apple chips this weekend. So, But fruitfulness comes by saying connected to the Messiah. The third thing is if we are connected to the Messiah, we will be able to walk in obedience to the commandments. Now, why is this important? Because this is the context. He says, I have said all of this to you. Said all of what? The things I'm telling you right now. I said all of these things to you so your joy may be full. So what has he said to us? Apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot be fruitful without being in me. And if you're going to be in me, I'm going to prune you so that fruit can come. And if you are connected to me, then you're going to be able to obey everything that I have said. And the fourth thing he says, that joy comes as a result of our abiding in him and walking in his commandments. So Yeshua is telling us, contrary to popular opinion, that obeying his word is not restrictive, but it's liberating, and it's where you and I will experience true joy. Think about it. He says, I'm going to give you my joy. It's his joy. It's his joy that should be oozing in you and I. Well, how can that happen? Is your name written in the book of life? Let me see your hand. Okay? That means you're in a relationship with him. So you're in a relationship with him. You abide in him and he abides in you. Then that means his joy that he imparts to you. Now, do you, how many remember Lord of the Rings movies? You know, the one when Frodo gets hurt by the wraith, right? And uh, what's her name? The, the elf princess, right? She comes and she grabs him up and she speaks and she says, all that is within me, I give to you. Do you remember that scene in the water and the, they're coming at? And, and, you know, she's like imparting that to him to help him to, you know, live because he's going to die from this wound from the wraith. Obviously fictional, very, a lot of spiritual uh, analogies there because, you know, Tolkien was a believer and things like that. But that's just fictional writing. How much more God, Yeshua says, he wants to put inside of it. He says, it's my joy. So my question is, why are you refusing his joy? Isn't that the stupidest thing? So he says, I want to give you something, right? And yet so many of us refuse the gifts that God wants to give to us. And one of those things that he wants to give to us is his joy. And he says, it's my joy I'm going to put inside of you. And that's awesome. It's not the joy that the world has. And the world can't duplicate it. 
The world doesn't know joy. It doesn't. It might know happiness, you know, that it gets by experiencing certain things and thrills and stuff like that. But when the stuff is gone and when they lie down and put their head on their pillow, there's no joy if you don't know Messiah. But knowing Messiah, he wants his joy inside of us. His joy. That is something that is overwhelming and coming out of us it should be. King David shared some similar thoughts when he brought the ark back to Jerusalem. Look at Dereha Yamim, 1 Chronicles 16.27. In his presence, God's presence, are honor and majesty, and in his place, strength and joy. And he puts it this way in the Psalms. You make me know the path of life. In your presence is unbounded joy. In other words, no restriction. So some of you, you know, the joy of God that you're like pushing it down, you know. Okay, I don't want to crack a smile today at the rabbi. God forbid. Although it takes less muscles to smile than it does to frown. So, David, unbounded joy. Unbounded joy. So that's why when I come here and I'm worshiper, when I at home and worshiping, and we've shared this so many times, I know you may not believe this, but my husband and I don't always feel like coming to worship, okay? And yes, we too go through difficult times, and, and sometimes, you know, we are struggling in situations and circumstances ourselves, but always in his presence. That's why when I, I get up and I dance, and sometimes it's a choice I make, not because I feel like it, but I choose to dance because I'm going to choose to allow the joy that he's placed inside of me to come out. And yes, that's why I will shout and say, thank you, God, and shout hallelujah and whatever the words that we are singing because his joy should be unbounded inside of me. So in spite of my circumstances, which we're going to talk about, I can choose to rejoice in him. And I make that choice. And David says, in his presence is unbounded bounded joy. And I want to encourage you to let the joy out. One writer said, joy is the fruit of a right relationship with God. It's not something that people can create by their own efforts. So I'm going to tell you right now, you can't go from here and say, okay, I'm going to make myself joyful. It's not going to work. It'll last for five minutes. Then you get on the LIE and forget it. It'll be out the window for sure. But you can activate the joy that God has already given you. You can experience the joy that you already have. There's no way to get around it. Our lack of joy most often, in fact, 99.9% of the time is attributed to the fact that we are not abiding in him, we're not resting in his presence, or we're not walking in obedience to his word. Because that's what Yeshua says in Yochanan chapter 15. These things I have said, so my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. What? Abide in me, bear fruit, do my word. And your joy will be complete. So if we're not doing those things, the joy is not going to be complete.
as I said earlier, the scriptures are so full of exhortations and encouragement about joy. And you've heard me say this before, too, that sometimes when I look at believers, I mean, you know, it looks like we're sucking on sour lemons, you know. It really, really is. It just, we're irritable and snappy. We're grumpy and grouchy. And people look at us and say, okay, yeah, I want what you have, not. And we should be a sweet what? Aroma and fragrance. Right? Isn't that what Rob Shaul says? That we are the aroma and the fragrance. But some of us are not a very sweet aroma or fragrance. And one of the reasons are is because we're not experiencing the joy that God wants us to experience. Joy should be overflowing out of our mouths, demonstrated in our actions, permeating our thoughts, and saturating our attitudes. I just want to share a couple more scriptures, and then I'm going to give you four practical steps on walking in joy. Because like I said, there are so many scriptures on joy. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. This is one of the verses I remembered as a child. I'm sure many of you know this as well. Rejoice in union with the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Once again, we are commanded to rejoice, not optional. And I hear that little child inside you right now saying, but I don't want to rejoice, Rabbi Carol. Rapshul not only commands us to rejoice here, but he's also telling us we need to rejoice always. Oh, come on, Rabbi Carol. God can't really want me to do that. It's impossible. No, it's not. Historically, Rab Shaul, when he writes this letter to the congregation at Philippi, he is stuck in prison facing the threat of death. All right? So that's not exactly, you know, a good situation. And yet, even though he was not in a good situation, he could still encourage others because he himself was one who practiced what he preached. And we know that because think about it in the book of Acts when we see him and Silas in prison in chains and stocks. What does he do at midnight? He starts singing and praising God. I think he let out a few shouts of joy. Okay. So that's why he could tell this Kehila at Philippi, you need to rejoice. Yeah, things are not going so good in your life right now, and I get it. He says, and it's not going that good in my life either, but we can rejoice always. He says, and I will say it again, because he's already said it several times. If you read through the book of Philippians, and that's a good book for you to read this week, you want some extra homework, you're going to read Yochanan chapter 15, read the book of Philippians, four chapters, and he speaks about joy a lot. And one other scripture that I want to, to give, with, uh, give to this morning from the book of Habakkuk. Chapter 3. So the prophet is talking about what God promises he's going to do. And then at the end of that, he says, even if the fig tree doesn't blossom and there is no fruit on the vine, even if the olive tree fails to produce and the fields yield no food at all, 
Even if the sheep vanish from the sheep pen and there are no cows in the stalls, that's not going good. Okay? He says, still, yet, I will rejoice in Adonai. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. From this passage, we see once again, it's a choice we get to make. The prophet is saying something similar to what Rav Shaul said. Even though everything is going wrong in my life, he says, I will still rejoice in Adonai. Each day you and I get up, we get to make choices. Not only of what we will eat and wear and, and uh, what the activities we are going to do throughout the day, but we get to make choices of what our attitudes, thoughts, and actions will be. And every moment of every day, I have to decide what I am going to do. And in this area, I want to choose to be joyful. Even when I am experiencing difficulties and even when I don't see the promises of God fulfilled in my life. Listen to me. You may not have received your healing yet. I get it. You may not uh, uh, have seen improvement in your finances. Okay. Maybe your relationships have not been restored in the way that God has promised to you. I understand that. Maybe your dreams and hopes seem further away than they ever seemed. I get it. But what are you going to do in the midst of that? You can sit down and have a pity party, or you can do like the prophet did, and you can do like Rav Shaul did, and like the many men and women we could read out throughout the scriptures and throughout the last 2,000 years who made a choice in the midst of difficult situations, yet, still, even though all of this is true, nothing is happening the way I want it to happen in my life, everything is going down the tubes, even still, I'm going to make a choice, and I will rejoice in God. And one last verse here, Tehillim 3211. Be glad in Adonai, rejoice, you righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I mentioned this earlier, but it's one of these verses that clearly reveal that joy is an outward demonstration. And I said, some of you need to start shouting in the midst of your pain and your barrenness. Isn't that what Adonai encourages us in Isaiah 54, which is one of the half tours recently? Single barren woman, you who have no children. In other words, okay, you, things are not, that's, that's not something that uh, the, you want to rejoice in, especially back in those days. It was not good to be barren. But he says, sing, rejoice. Because children are coming. Don't wait until they come, but sing and rejoice now. So, some of you need to dance and twirl. You need to be exuberant. Go home and cut a rug. Not literally cut, but dance. If you're embarrassed to do it here in front of me, come up and dance with me. Stand by me. Trust me. I will drag you around in the circle. I won't let you. I do it to everybody. I'll turn you when you're supposed to turn. You know. Seriously. Some of you need to let loose. And let joy come out. Try it. Shout and see. In fact, I think we should try that right now. We're going to shout hallelujah. Can everyone say that word? That's a Hebrew word. I know it's tough, you know, 
but I think we can handle that, right? Hallelujah. We got that? So at the count of three, one, two, three, ready? One, two, three. Let's see. Don't you feel good? Of course you do. Don't worry. I'm not going to get you make you get up and dance right now. You're like, oh, she's going to get us. Let it be seen in your, for, uh, in your face. A good place. A simple smile. And how hard is it to smile? Billy Sunday, who was a great evangelist around the turn of the century, said, The trouble with many men is that they have just enough religion to make them miserable. If there's no joy in your religion, then you've got a leak in your religion, he said. He was a baseball player who God saved and then he became a preacher. So. so if there's no joy, you're leaking and not in a good way. Okay? So you need to clog up the leak and let the joy well up within you and that it does overflow to others, but not that you are left without any. So four practical steps for us to be joyful. Number one. Remember that God himself is filled with joy and expresses it. I mean, if he says for over 400 or 600 times he talks about joy, it's a pretty important topic to him. And as we said, Sephaniah 317 says that he dances in joy and singing uh, over us. So if God can be joyful and I am a follower of God, then maybe I can be joyful as well. Number two, rest in his presence. You have to be connected to the vine. Okay? It's, again, not optional. You can't, you have to be in a daily relationship. And we talked about this recently in discipleship. We were meeting with Sheila and Evelyn and Marty on Tuesday nights. And we're talking about this. And, you know, that just like every day you get up and eat. Like, how many got up and ate this morning? Oh, Wow. Yeah, my stomach's growling, and I ate, so you guys must really be growling. Okay. How many of you normally get up and eat in the morning, right? How many are going to eat after this, uh, this service today? Yeah, that's good. Everyone's going to eat. All right. So you eat every day, don't you? Why? Because your body needs it. So your spiritual person, I think I shared this recently as well, needs to be fed every day. You need to stay connected to the Messiah. So you need to be in his presence, and because in his presence is fullness of joy. So you're going to remember that God is a God of joy. You're going to rest in his presence. You're going to stay connected to him. Number three is you're going to renew your commitment to do his word. Simple obedience. It says it, do it. Why argue about it? Just do what his word says. This is all part of Yeshua's uh, directions in Yochanan chapter 15. And finally, the fourth thing is resolve to walk in joy. It's a choice. So you can leave from this place and say, I am going to choose every day to walk in joy. Doesn't mean that your situation is going to change. In fact, for many of you, your situation may get worse. I'm just going to tell you. We'll be honest with you. It may get worse. 
But I can tell you, I've been through some very dark times in my life. I've been through some very difficult situations that I would not wish upon anyone. And yet I can tell you that in the midst of all of that, God is with me. And I could remain at peace in him and have that inner joy because of my connection to him. So four steps that you can take. Remember that God himself is a God of joy. Rest in his presence. Stay connected to the vine. Renew your commitment to do his word, obedience. And number four, resolve to walk in joy. A choice that you get to make every day. Let's stand to our feet. Adonai, we thank you for uh, instructing us and exhorting us and challenging us uh, this morning uh, from your word. And God, I pray that uh, we would take the things that we have heard today and we would uh, meditate upon them, uh, Lord, that we would uh, uh, even uh, do some further reading and studying ourselves. God, and that uh, we would take this season of Sukkot, Saman Simchatenu, a season where we are to focus on joy and, and, and get that truth so embedded down in our kishkas. God, that, that joy would be something that truly ebbs and flows out of us, God, wherever we're at, whatever situation we might find ourselves in, that it would be your joy that we walk in. God, for those who are facing difficult uh, times right now, God, who who are overwhelmed by what life has dealt them, God, I pray that they would find rest in your presence, Lord, and even in the midst of their difficulty, they could experience that inner peace and that, that inner joy that you have to give them. And I pray that you would work, God, on behalf of their situation, Lord, because we know that all things work together for good, and I pray that you would work for good in their lives. God, I pray that, uh, that we would... Each hear uh, your command to choose to rejoice. God, and understand that it is a choice we daily get to make. And I thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to close with ironic benediction. Anthony, I think there might be a CD back there that you can put up. I'm going to invite Myrna to come up if anyone would like prayer. Myrna and I will be available uh, to, to pray with you for anything that you have. Uh, and everyone else, just bless you, you know, in the rest of your day. Uh, again, 4 o'clock tomorrow, we'll be building the sukkah, and then we'll enter into the first night uh, celebrating with some songs and prayers. And so we invite you to come back and join us tomorrow. So, May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai make his face shine on you and show you his favor. May Adonai lift up his face towards you and give you peace. In this way, they're to put my name on the people of Israel, so I will bless them. May you walk in the blessing of Adonai, and may you respond to his word this morning and choose to rejoice. Have a great day.